You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Heartbeat this evening. I'm coming to you live from Washington, D.C. this evening. I'm excited to talk with you this evening and also uh, to highlight uh, some of our guests that are on with us tonight. Let me let me first say that um, I had a, a pretty strong reaction to uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruling of affirmative action, even though I expected it. Um, I had a strong reaction to it and I decided instead of reacting, I was going to respond. So we'll talk more about that. I also decided that I wanted to engage some other people who are, um, at the, uh, forefront of addressing, uh, education in our country and addressing some of the other issues that we are uh, paying attention to in the uh, media cycle around uh, the gutting of diversity and equity work. Uh, I hope you all also saw that the gutting of affirmative action was only the first step. There is no new legislation to uh, from the Republican Party to introduce legislation to not give scholarships to minority people. Now, before I introduce in our first guest, I'm going to challenge every person who listens to this Uh, First off, pass the show on to people who are not paying attention because while this feels like politics as usual or I don't want to get involved, I'm just going to ask the question, um, do you understand what really happened when Hitler took power, when Hitler took power? If you understand history around what happened then and start comparing it to what's going on now, There's not a lot of difference in what's happening. I'm here in Washington, D.C. I came back uh, this week to attend uh, the 4th of July event at the White House, and it was um, interesting for me to be there uh, because I have mixed feelings about uh, things, uh, freedom in this country. I don't feel that we as Black people are free, but I feel that this is our country. And um, our family, my family, your families. Uh, built this country, and so rightfully so, we should be here fighting for its democracy, fighting for our children, fighting for uh, fighting these Republicans. I don't even want to call them Republicans. They are the MAGA right who are trying to destroy our lives and take ownership of this country. And personally, I feel like they're making progress. So that's my my personal sentiments coming into the show tonight. I'm inviting on uh, our first guest tonight. He, his name is Mike Bland. He is the vice president uh, for leaders of color for the Democrats for Education Reform. He does a lot of work across this country. Democrats, known as DEFER, does a lot of work across the country trying to help change the trajectory for education. And he also works tirelessly uh, for leaders of color, which is to help black people get elected into public office. So uh, for the first part of the show, I want to welcome in Mike Bland out of New York to join our show tonight because I'm interested and eager to hear what he what his thoughts are about what's going on in the country. Mike Bland, I have not seen you in a few years. How are you? <laughs> Cindy, so good to see you. I haven't seen you in so long, but it, it is good to be with you. <laughs> I am so glad you're here, Mike. Um, I, you know, remember when I first met you, which was in 2019, when I came back to Philos or Philos. I came back, and uh, Philos is a conference that highlights uh, Black elected people that are uh, you're working with, trying to help Black people get elected into positions of power. You work for Democrats for Education Reform, and I'm fascinated to hear. What's been the conversation at DEFER post this uh, post this ruling? Where is DEFER, and what are you what are your thoughts about all of this? Yeah, well, again, thank you so much, Cindy. It's it's been you know it's been a whirlwind. You know, we thought we were going to leg up when SCOTUS announced that they were the maps that were drawn were unconstitutional in Louisiana, Alabama, and such. And so we thought we had a leg up, and finally, the the arc of justice would bend the right way. And we found out, quite frankly, that it, it hasn't. Um, 
you know, at, at, at Education Reform Now, at DFER, uh, Leaders of Color, our first response is, what, what, what do we do now? Um, how are we proactive versus reactive? And I'll tell you, it's been, you know, nearly two years. We've been fighting against legacy preference or against the legacy preference in the state of New York. We've been fighting against legacy preference um, all across the country. And so we saw that the Supreme Court said it's okay that, you know, mom and dad who are rich that can donate millions of dollars to uh, these, you know, esteemed universities across the country, that you can get in on a, a sweetheart deal. And what, we, what we've noticed right away is that th this is nothing less um, then the Supreme Court, the radical right Supreme Court, turning back the, again, arc of justice, um, but turn us back to, you know, basically Jim Crow. And so how do we fight these things again? Where, where and, and, you know, you have the president and folks in his cabinet looking for loopholes. Um, but it's, it's, it's scary because it's if they can do this, what else, what is next? Um, you know, so for us, is it Brown v. Board of Education that's next? Is it, you know, segregation laws? Again, Jim Crow laws that they'll roll, you know, roll back and say, um, that First Amendment rights or the 14th Amendment rights, um, you know, only apply to some and not all. And so that's been in part some of the conversations that we've been having, not only with leaders of color or our black and brown leaders across the country. Um, but th this is just a conversation now that we're having and everybody's, you know, I like to say the first shot that they want to take from the hip is now it's time to send all of our kids to HBCUs. Well, our HBCUs have been highly underfunded for years mm -hmm. and and so what is it that we do, right? Because they don't even, they don't have the resources, they don't have the, the bandwidth um, now in terms of even supporting what we think that we can do if we send our black and brown babies to back to HBCUs. Um, so this is just a, it's a, it's a really hard time right now for not only Democrats, but for people of color alike. And, you know, the people who lose out the most and nobody's saying this is, is white women. Um, they're gonna be affected the most by the affirmative action clause. Yes, they will be affected the most and they are the most active in taking away the rights of the brown and black people. Isn't that fascinating? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things I always say, who are you, who are you championing or, how, or who are you rooting on? And, you know, I often wonder, the, these are the folks who we call the most powerful people in the country, arguably the most powerful people in the world, and they're fighting against their own interests. And so it's going to be, it'd be very apparent what happens in the, not even midterms, the great general election that we come up, that, that is coming up in. You know, everybody is saying it now, um, Cindy, and um, it, it is troublesome to me, but but to recognize elections have consequences. Mm -hmm. Everybody, somebody that everybody was so against and couldn't stand and couldn't stand like the Clinton family and why should Hillary be next? Hillary Clinton told you what was going to happen. Every mm -hmm. single thing that she said was going to happen if Donald Trump became president is happening. Mm -hmm. um, consequences for generations, not, not just for the term of its life cycle, right? Like it, right. it as the person who is a, uh, a treasonous, who is a rapist, who is a, all of the above, who is still the number one candidate on the democratic ticket. And the, the people who have cheated their way, his sure. way into office. You know, it's fascinating. I want to talk more about um, the HBCUs because that was actually my reaction too. I was like, you know, F these people. <laughs> Like, um, you know, we have our own education system. I know that we're sure. underfunded, but, you know, it is an interesting time to explore that more because if the um, <coughs> PWI um, institutions do not take a stand for this on their own or continue to try to make inroads, I mean, if you're educated, you, this isn't a, debate. If you're an educated person, you understand that what is necessary to progress society is difference. You can't have everybody thinking like Ron DeSantis in the world and actually expect business to prosper. Look, Disney, you can't, if you have any level of education, that's not a reasonable um, result. So what if we said, all right, we, how do we go about getting funding, more funding into HBCUs? How do we start to build up our community more and stop messing with these folks and just bring, I mean, should we just be bringing our children back into our fold and helping yeah. our kids to get educated and creating our own ecosystem and stop depending on these folks to um, do right by brown and black communities? You know, that, that's a great question. And, and Cindy, I think one of the things that I think about first and foremost is a lot of times in education, education policy, we start with higher ed. And we don't start, we start near the finish line versus at the starting line. 
So equitable education should start with pre-K. Um, I'm one that believes, and I'm probably using the wrong frame here, but universal pre-K, every child in America ages three and four should be at some kind of pre-K, public school system. Um, and this is just like the argument when people say for uh, uh, public charters or public education system, we should be able to say, I want to send my kid to the best school possible, first and foremost. What, what strikes me the most here, Cindy, is when it comes to the education system and a higher ed piece, and we're saying, hey, let's send everybody to HBCUs. And it's one of the things that I, I like to champion for the president and vice president. They have made the biggest investments in HBCUs than any other administration that we've ever had. Yes, that includes our favorite president, Barack Obama, or our other favorite president, um, William Jefferson Clinton. Um, this administration <laughs> the has, made, president. <laughs> right, has made more investments into HBCUs than any other administration to the tune that it almost insults the Republican Party because they're saying, well, why are we giving more to these traditional institutions who will put out some of the best and the brightest in the country? I mean, look, our vice president, you know, she graduated from an HBCU. We have judges that have graduated from HBCUs. We have professors and teachers and principals who have gone to HBCUs, um, CEOs who have gone to HBCUs. And so now it's one of those things where um, don't tell me you love me, show me. And so it's this, this cry that we're, we're asking the federal government for help. But it's one of those things where we should now institutionally, whether it's alumni or others that are like saying, hey, we know we're going to get pushed back from traditional institutions now who will no longer say, hey, because you're African-American, because you have a 3.75 GPA, because you scored so well in SAT, um, it no longer matters that you're a person of color and that you want to be given an equal playing field. And then the question that's not being asked here, Cindy, is why was affirmative action on the chopping block? Why, why did we even have affirmative action to begin with? It, it started to have a level playing field for those who were at a disadvantage, whether you're a person of color or whether you're a minority, whether you were, you know, your, 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 your gender um, did not have traditionally did not have a level, level playing field to our um, what I like to call our traditionalists, which are white men. And mm -hmm. so now that we're taking that back, what is it that we have left? And, and, and we have to get creative. And as the HBCUs, I say we don't just stop at HBCUs. We don't stop at small institutions. We don't small, stop at uh, small. It, it, it's the accountability. Right. And it's the accountability in the education process. So we need organizations like ours like DFERT, like EdTrust, um, like, you know, other, other other school systems who are now sending kids to college. We need them to say, hey, what is it, what is it that we are, in fact, preparing you for? Um, and, and so it's going to be difficult. We don't know what this looks like. We probably won't see what this looks like for another two years. Um, but this is a rollback um, and a setback. But one thing I know for sure is um, a setback is only a, a setup for a comeback. So we'll see. Yeah, you know, another another thought about that. Uh, Mike is, you know, I, you know, I'm going to just address this to black community for a moment and it might seem a little extremist or radical, but you know, what happens if we as black people, let's, let's just, let's just talk about what the whites are gaining on the backs of black people, right? So sure. if we think about the NBA and the NFL and, you know, the people who are backing those organizations, if we stop funneling our money into those organizations and start funneling our money into the HBCUs and start to build up programs that are comparable to NFL or the NFL can't survive without black folks. The NBA can't survive without black folks if they can't recruit from anybody except HBCUs because the PWI, which stands for predominantly white institutions, if the PWIs can't offer scholarships and or help, you know, black people get into the colleges, then, you know, should we just pivot and start developing an ecosystem where the monies off of everything that black people do, you know, white America wants? I mean, clearly they are, let's just be real, you know, the spray tan, the lips, the Botox, I mean, you just name it. That's all off of black community. And so good luck surviving in your lily white um, regime when we are the people that actually hold the power. We hold the voting power in this country and we hold the access to everything that they enjoy. So if you go back to education, if we start to funnel or create the system where monies are going, instead of going to the NBA, they're going to HBCUs. Instead of, you know, Deion Sanders got slammed pretty bad when he left uh, and went to Colorado, um, you know, 
I mean, maybe we should just, it's money, right? Should we start putting money in a different direction? Stop spending our money there. Uh, the NIL now with the college athletes says college athletes now have power. How do we get to our college athletes and say, stop, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice the UCLA to go into the Jackson State, but here's what we're building over here, right? Like sure. thinking in that direction to help education, help us get our kids educated. I mean, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I think we have to ask these questions now. Sure. Uh, you know what? The, the phrase is where, you know, the people who have the power have the most money sometimes. And so for us, unfortunately, in our world, black and brown folks, uh, the, lot, the allotment of power, the vast majority of power financially comes from sports and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's like we're asking people, a lot of these folks who haven't, you know, for I'm sorry. Did you get me? All right. Yeah, we're asking people for the first time who, you know, for the first time in a long time or first time ever in their lives have to manage or balance a checkbook bigger than they've ever seen in their life, right? And so, again, what do we do? Even organizations like ours, where you think of leaders of color, we're going to the people who did not oppress us. We're going to the people who, um, who are now being suppressed by their community, um, now being suppressed by family members that they've never met. Now, for the first time, we're being suppressed and we're saying, hey, we need you. Even though you made it, now we need you to help us bring us out. And, you know, I think that's a conflicting argument sometimes. Mm -hmm. I do think when we say, you know, basketball and education, NFL and education, um, but just philanthropy, and period, just philanthropy, period, black philanthropy, period. Um, are we now asking them to shift their dollars to black education? And again, I go back. It, it starts before higher ed. This is where, you know, do we need more CMOs? Do we need more uh, schools built? by us? Do we need more institutions, more, um, I like to call workforce equity, professional equity by us? Um, and it's almost like, you know, I, I like to say um, people of color, particularly black and brown folks, have saved this country time and time and time again. But now we're in a position where we now have to save ourselves. Um, right. We knew this. We knew this. And so for even for those folks of color say it doesn't matter who's president. Now you see, you're right. You didn't see it for two years or four years. And we like to say, well, Trump didn't have the House. He didn't have the Senate. But his ability to have judges, his ability to make financial and economic decisions um, for, for decades now, um, for generations, um, we're feeling that. And we're almost feeling that immediately. Yep. Mike, Justin, I know we just have you for a few minutes. What what do you think is a next step uh, from an education perspective? What is it that us as Black community needs to do now? What is it we need to focus on? What do you need from us and the community? I'm sorry, what'd you say, Cindy? I lost you again. It's okay. Um, what is it right now? I know we just have a couple of minutes. I just wanted to hear from you. What do you need from us as a black community? What do you need from us as a white community? What do you need from us to help you and the work that you're doing uh, to advance education reform, um, to advance um, the color and helping people get elected into positions of power. I feel like your family is right behind you. So <laughs> thank you for coming. I know it's late for you right no, now. No, it's fine. No, just, you know, do you have a couple things that you need from us so that we as a community know what we need to do to support you and the work that you're doing? Well, thank you very much. Uh, first and foremost, like any organization, what we need are resources. Um, you know, I often, you know, tell folks, visit our website, lisacolor.net, uh, and donate. Um, you know, for us, it's a training mechanism that trains black and brown leaders, um, not only in political sphere, but also in an advocacy sphere, right? Not everybody's going to run for office, um, but we also need people who aren't going to run for office to be fighters and equip them financially and give them the tools to do what they need to do. I think, secondly, we have to, um, you know, we got caught up with this phrase during the, during the pandemic, which was reimagined. It's time for us to wake up. Um, mm -hmm. there, are so, there are so many consequences, not just from the pandemic not just from SCOTUS, but there's so many consequences for lack of participation in our communities that we feel like we're, we're going to say, well, they don't listen to us anyway, and the powers that be are who they are, and it doesn't matter. It does matter. Um, we're seeing for one of the first times, you're seeing uh, Moms of Liberty, um, this group um, on the radical right. Who they're now, here. They're, they're in here. Washington State. Yeah, they're yep. here. And they're preparing folks to run for school boards. And then we know what that ascension looks like from school board to yeah. city council to county commissioner to mayor and then to the federal level when they're running for Congress and for the United States Senate and, and maybe even president. Right. You're seeing the same thing from the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Yeah. But yet we are we are now telling ourselves that um, we don't want to be involved in it or I'm not political. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, excuse my candy here. I'm tired of that, that shit. 
Life yeah. is political. When you live in a democracy, it's it's a it's a constant exercise. It's a constant exercise of managing democracy, right? Yeah. So it's an exercise of what it what does it actually take to be free, yeah. to really express myself, to live out all these constitutional amendments that we've our forefathers, if you will, have written and applied to a democracy, a functional democracy. So yeah. we have to participate. We can't say, I don't want to run for school board. I don't want to run for county commissioner or mayor. Um, we have to participate and get involved in the process. And then after we get involved in the process, we can't just sit back and just be, just sit back and happy that we're there. Mistake activity for achievement and live yeah. in the land of about to do. We have to be active. We have to continually hold town halls and hold even our elected officials accountable. Um, it is the long game, but if you, if you notice something in this season that is apparent, the radical right, well, or even the right, the Mitch McConnell right, they played the long game. So we'll give you President Obama for four years. Hell, we'll give it to you for eight. But what did they do? They put more Republican judges on the bench afterwards. They've got more Republican members at one point elected to Congress. State state bodies gerrymandered every single map that they could to control state houses and women's rights um, and even minorities' rights. So we got to understand you know, we can't get, you know, so excited and, you know, overly um, elated over the Barack Obamas of the world. We have to get excited about young black and brown mayors, you know, first time women governors. We have to get we have to celebrate those figures because that's also the ecosystem and pipeline. And be just be I think be ever apparent and, and, and invest in folks who are doing the work in your community. And, I, and, and not and not only invest in getting them in, but support them when they get in. Because the second part of my show, uh, I am bringing on, I've had her on a couple of times, Dr. Karen Johnson. She's the first chief equity officer here in Washington state. And in classic form of black women's leadership, uh, as soon as she starts to execute on progress, she's taken down. Sure. And so the this is an important moment that you're highlighting, Mike, because um, this is not just for black people, these messages. This is for white people, too. Like, we don't wait until it's too late because we are past the tipping point right now sure. of what's going on. Don't wait till the stuff, I'll say stuff to give the proper S word, has completely crashed before you wake up and say, oh, we should have listened. Sure. Right. Oh, we should have listened. Final thoughts, Mike. I appreciate you coming on. Do you have any final thoughts before we go to commercial? Yeah, look, this has been a crazy year. Um, and, and let what you see, don't let it be strange. This is all in preparation for what I call the big showdown, which is 2024. And that is not only at the top of the ballot with um, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris and whoever the um, sideshow is going to be from the other party. But we have to start looking down. Hey, looks like we lost Mike there. Uh, looks like he was trying to make some closing comments about uh, looking down. Uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm like right next to the router. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, I, but I wanted to say, you know, close out this down ballot races. Um, they matter. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can remember when I moved to Neptune, New Jersey, I didn't know who was on the ballot for school board. Somebody like me who does everyday politics every day. But I did my research. I put out my questions. Um, whether you put them on the internet, Twitter, Facebook, whomever, and then I researched every single uh, every single candidate. But not every not every parent has that access. Not every person has that access to do that. Um, and we have to be involved in the process. I mean, we we are in for. I hate to say, everybody says it's the most important election. I think I've heard that every election since I've been eighteen. But you know, since I turned eighteen, I remember when that is. Uh, I believe that. Was all right, it looks like we lost him again. So let me just thank uh, Mike for coming on with us uh, this evening. It's a little hard to do these shows. Are you back, Mike? Do you want to finish up? Yeah, I'm going to close out real quick, 10 seconds. Okay. Just, just be involved. Get involved in the process. Donate to your local black and brown organizations who are doing the work. And we can no longer rely on just normal or big, what I call the big three philanthropy or big money philanthropic dollars. Um, there is no excuse after the latest affirmative action case or there's no reason for them to even give to black and brown organizations. Um, yeah. These aren't reparations. These are tax write-offs. Yep. So uh, the intentionality of being involved civically in your community, um, you got to do it and get politically active. And please, let's stop waiting for somebody to save us because it hasn't happened for 400 years. It's not going to happen for the next 400. So Correct. be involved in the process. Mike Glenn, thank you for coming on with us tonight. I Short notice, I appreciate your 
uh, activism. I appreciate your work. I appreciate, please, I'm going to stay connected to you over the next 18 Absolutely. months because we're in a hell of a, uh, a season right now and it's all hands on deck. So I will be back in touch. I uh, thank you for coming on this late at night with us. Um, we love you. Thank you for being here. We will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. I'm going to go to commercial break real quick and then we're going to come back and I have more. So we'll be right back. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in. They talked to our lender and saved our home because falling on hard times does not have to mean losing your home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHAF.org. The new COVID-19 updated booster provides the best protection available right now. So don't wait. Stay safe this summer and get your updated booster today. To find a free vaccine provider near you, go to kingcounty.gov forward slash vaccine. One in every 500 African-Americans in the U.S. suffers from sickle cell disease. One in three African-American blood donors is a match for patients with sickle cell. One, appointment to donate blood with the American Red Cross can help save a life. Will you be that one? Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood today to schedule an appointment at a location near you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Heartbeat. I'm your host, Cindy Bright. I'm uh, back in Washington, D.C. today broadcasting, and I uh, came back for the 4th of July event at the White House. It was humbling uh, for me to be here. It was um, invigorating for me to be here, uh, to be in the uh, place of power where our families built this country and um, to celebrate our families and what um, we have all done to um, make sure that everybody who's watching the show and people who aren't uh, have a home and a life and all the things that Black America has done. Uh, it was interesting having Mike Bland on the first half. Again, he's the vice president of education, uh, leaders of color uh, for Democrats for education reform. And they have been working a lot. I've known them for several years. They've been doing a lot to try to advance education for black children. They've done a lot in terms of trying to uh, uh, standing up uh, black charter schools across the country. They have tried to uh, stand them up here. Uh, We've had a legislature and a funding issue here in Washington state, which is something else I'm Uh, calling out and addressing because we continue to have to operate in these systems of oppression while the people around us are all operating and moving things at lightning speed. What Mike was talking about is uh, the long game for them while the Democrats are playing the short game, right? And so um, I'm going to continue to advocate for education reform in this country and now with the Supreme Court ruling and now look at what happened today with new legislation proposed so that Black people can't get scholarships. They are so afraid of Black excellence. They absolutely cannot handle us being smarter, stronger, resilient, all the things that us as Black community are. And so I'm going to continue to advocate for that. And I'm also wanted to talk more uh, today about what's happening across the country in the diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice space. Uh, I have invited back on with me uh, to the show tonight uh, my co-host, Stephanie Coverson. She will soon be Dr. Stephanie Coverson. She is on with me. She is a former chief people officer who has worked in this space around uh, diversity and equity for her entire career. I also want to welcome back on with us Dr. Karen Johnson. We all know her as Dr. J. She is the former chief equity officer for Washington State. Welcome back, ladies. How are you this evening? <laughs> Great. Good to see you. You too. To you. What uh, What were your thoughts before we dive in, listening to what Mike was talking about and his views about where we are here right now? You know, it's I, I feel like this has been sort of the longest uh, two weeks uh, that really feels like two years. Um, 
And I feel like we need to have a multi-pronged strategy. The first I think we're already seeing happen where um, a lawsuit has been filed against these universities for um, giving uh, or having quotas for legacies and uh, children of faculty and staff. Um, and then I think that next prong really is pursuing um, lawsuits against the federal government for intentionally underfunding HBCUs. Mm -hmm. And so if folks um, are interested in learning more about that, about two, two years ago, NPR um, had uh, some stories around that. Um, but basically, uh, Tennessee State University, um, about two years ago, a bipartisan legislative committee determined that the state failed to adequately fund um, uh, the university going all the way back to the 50s. Um, and so they estimate that underfunding to be $150 million to $544 million. Um, and then there was also a similar um, issue, I believe, in uh, Maryland of underfunding. And so kind of at the end of uh, NPR's piece, they talk about that every single HBCU, there needs to be an investigation to see by how much, not necessarily if, the federal government um, has been underfunding these institutions. So it's great to see progress uh, in terms of uh, seeing administrations, uh, this current administration in particular, um, increase funding for HBCUs and HBCUs are still owed, um, still owed their coins, mm -hmm. right? They're still, they're still owed money and funding. And I think all of us who have gone to um, PWIs um, have had that experience of being told either as graduating seniors, that was my experience, that the only reason I got in um, to the University of Washington, Washington State Universities, a plethora of HBCUs was due to affirmative action. It, it wasn't, you know, my academics, that they had no idea what it was, right? So there is this assumption that based in the, the racialized body that you sit in, that you are automatically un, unqualified and incompetent. Mm -hmm. And then from uh, white folks um, that sort of carry this belief, this sense of entitlement, that this is these are their spots for them and their children. So mm -hmm. that those are some of my feelings that I've been having over the last few days. Dr. J, what has been going on? What are you, how are you reacting or responding to this moment? Well, thank you, Cindy. It's good to see you. And thank you, Dr. Stephanie, for uh, what your remarks. We didn't pull out pomp and circumstance for you to start playing that every day so you can get <laughs> ready for that moment. Yeah. What I've been thinking about is back to something that Michael Bland said. He said, um, he said, the time, he says, this is a set, he says, a setback is a setup for a comeback. And after I started reading the dissenting decisions from judges at Jackson and Sotomayor, I, I began to think about, huh, we might as well just roll on back to 1619 and deal with that original sin of slavery. Let's speak truth. Uh, let's dismantle that whole system. Uh, let's forgive one another. Let's be healed of the harm that is called the oppressed and the oppressor so that we can move toward reconciliation and transformation. And so what I've been thinking about is that perhaps this is the greatest moment in the history of humankind for us now to get ready for the second chapter. If we look at 1619 to today as like the first chapter, what are we gonna do in this next chapter to ensure equity and justice or, or life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness as the constitution talks about, or liberty and justice for all 
uh, as we say in uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, or more importantly, how are we as a society really going to live out our humanity? And what kind of legacy are we even gonna leave to the generations yet unborn, provided that we even have a world to leave? We don't mm -hmm. kill one another because of the evil and the hatred in our heart, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Can I drive while black, run while black, jog while black, sleep in your own house after treating COVID patients while black, right? Mm -hmm. And I was wondering now, if this were a predominantly, if this is an all white nation, would this law even have been on the, on the, on the, on the books? Mm -hmm. Would this even be an issue? Would we be even be having this conversation? Mm -hmm. And why on earth are we dividing ourselves over something over which none of us had any input? I go back to the earth suit. No one asked you, you, Dr. Stephanie, me or anyone else, what earth suit we wanted to wear to navigate the earth. So mm -hmm. how does anyone have the audacity to believe that any of us is inferior or superior to anyone based on the amount of melanin or lack thereof in an earth suit for which we had? no input this whole thing is based on a lie from the european colonizers and it's time now to displace discourse one black equals slave equals dehumanized vilified criminalized with discourse two indeed all people are indeed created equal and endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights and among these are life liberty and it was to happen let's go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been thinking about. I want to ask a follow-up question, Dr. J, but before I do that, I want to acknowledge that I am looking at your background and I'm interpreting it and I want to see if I'm interpreting it correctly. So I see a chessboard and I see a queen that is a queen has the ability to move across the entire board and then I see a pawn on the other side of it. And the pawn can only make two moves on a chess game. And I think that's a powerful depiction of where we are right now and what we're talking about. Have I interpreted that correctly? Yes, and actually this is a three-dimensional chess game. We're playing three-dimensional chess. Mm. And, and, and on some t-shirts you find the words, the black queen is the most powerful piece on the board. Mm -hmm. I would submit that actually we're more powerful than even the black queen as black queens because it's the hand that moves the pieces that's mm -hmm. the most powerful. So let us be about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. You know, I know, you know, when I, this has been incredibly tough the last couple of weeks. I think we're all um, watching um, and reacting inside to the fact that our queenness or our melanin is being rejected um, by folks who are so misguided uh, about the fact that we all come into this world the same and we all leave the world the same. And so this hatred that is growing, I guess my thoughts or my question is, you know, how do we activate more white people into this movement. And let me say more about that because what is happening everywhere, right? These organizations, I mean, you know, you guys saw the all of the DEI executives out of major companies all let go this past week, right? Ron DeSantis or the government says, we're not gonna give it any attention. We're gonna defund DEI. And so we're gonna let you all go. And so it's not of importance anymore. We already knew it wasn't of importance anyhow. So, um, but I think what's troubling to me is like when the DEI initiatives came forward, this was on the heels of George Floyd's death. And so in typical format, you know, organizations only reacted when they were forced to. And now we're here where we have basically another Adolf Hitler trying to gain power. Now, if you think I'm joking or you think I'm being too extreme, Google how Adolf Hitler got into power. And let me let me comment about this because I'm back here in Washington, D.C. And I was at the fireworks event yesterday and there was a shooting right by right there, right where this is all taking place. And I'm asking the question, how can in 
when I'm here and arguably the most protected space being around the White House, helicopters are all overhead, secret service are everywhere, and we still have a shooting and they've penetrated. How is this happening? Like you can't help but go, this is inside stuff happening within our own party, within our own ecosystem. And if that is in fact true, I argue it is, we are in a much more dire strait than we want to admit as a nation or that anybody will come forward and say, what do we do in this moment and how do we activate you know, white people too to understand the moment that we're at and not wait for it to be, you know, people are hauled off to internment camps or their families are impacted because they have a black person someplace in their family. How do we activate and get people more engaged in what we need to have happen now? Dr. J. I've been spending an awful lot of time reviewing Willie Lynch, The Making of a Slave, looking at life on the plantation, rereading our civil rights leaders. And one thing that Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, and the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about that was consistent is telling stories. If you recall, it was President John F. Kennedy was not really a friend of black people. His brother Bobby was. But when they showed on television the holding of those little black children, Look, but dogs being released on the, the children, being beaten with billy clubs. I have a photo in the other room of President and Robert Kennedy looking at what I believe is a television watching that because it was uh, June 16th and uh, in, in, in 63 when he, JFK decides that, oh my God, black people are indeed human, deserve an education, a right to live and was going to introduce legislation that we now know as the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964. As we also know, in, in August of that year was the March on Washington, where, where Dr. King mobilized people around the, the nation to come for jobs and freedom. And then backlash September of 63, the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed. And, and then in November of 63, November 22nd, President Kennedy lost his life for having the audacity to legislate the humanity of black people. And, and I believe that as we begin to tell the stories, as we begin to highlight and amplify and elevate the reality of what's going on today, and not only how it, it impacts black people, but all people, because let us remember, the greatest benefactor of affirmative action were white women. Mm -hmm. White women back in the day were of an affirmative action category. And, and, and the greatest benefactor of affirmative action are white women. But nobody is saying to them that, that they got their job or they're going to college because of their whiteness. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I really believe that, to, that as we begin to elevate and amplify the story of how all people are impacted, that is what is going to help us to begin to mobilize, organize, and strategize because all of us have been harmed by this oppressive system, both the oppressed and the oppressor. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, did you have some more thoughts? I do. And what is resonating for me as uh, Dr. J was speaking was this idea of, um, from my perspective, that things really became dicey uh, for Dr. King, as well as JFK, when they started to make or work towards coalitions right. between, so that it wasn't just black people. It, so when we talk about sort of this poor, uh, poor man's campaign, um, for example, or when um, he uh, showed up for uh, the sanitation strike workers. So I think that that is something that we have to be very cognizant of. And this kind of goes all the way back to what was it? The Bacon, Beacon Rebellion, um, where uh, 
uh, enslaved uh, black folks and poor white folks rebelled. Right. right? And once that was us. Uh, quashed, then we really got this narrative around, oh, poor, disadvantaged white folks. No, no, no. You're not like them. You're like us. You're with us. Mm -hmm. And so it is interesting to me to see this theme replay itself over and over again through time that as we start creating or making overtures to having these types of coalitions, because in some ways our struggles um, are very similar. So when we talk about um, poor white folks, disadvantaged white folks, um, in some ways are are very much similar to um, some of the experiences that we as black folks have. Are they the same? Absolutely not. But do we have enough in common where we can build coalitions? Absolutely. And so when those things start happening, that is when things really get shaken up and you start seeing these little, uh, you know, scraps being thrown out to cause conflict um, between and to try to destroy these coalitions or also outright violence. Mm hmm. I, I don't even think it's poor white people. I think it's the majority of white people are impacted by this as well. You know, there are, there are whatever the percentage of the wealth, but the majority, to your point, Dr. J, like, you know, white women have gained tremendously from affirmative action and access to education. Um, but many white people also struggle with you know, paying bills like the rest of us, being able to afford health care like the rest of us. Like this is not an uncommon. It's just that they've been pitted, pitted against and taught to believe that they're better than and they shouldn't be in the same boat as us. And so the you're I can tell you want to say something, Dr. J. What, what do you want to add to this? A couple things. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Stephanie nailed it. Mm-hmm. You're going to be Dr. Stephanie, so just get used to Thank you for calling, <laughs> yeah. naming it, speaking it on me. Thank you. You know, I just want to be very specific here. During Reconstruction in American history, is the only time in American history where Black people and poor white people ruled this land until white people were sold Jim Crow and bought it. And even though it didn't put food on their table or clothes on their back, they believed because of Whatever their plight was, they were better off because they were not black. That's when the elitists kicked us all out of office. And you talked about Hitler. I do want to go back there. You know, I I watched too many Holocaust movies, and I remember standing up watching them thinking, how on earth can you leave church on a Sunday morning, take the children to go get ice cream, go and stand on the hill and watch people being burned in a crematorium, and think that that was okay. What did you learn in church? Well, so obviously you didn't learn anything about love. Well, what 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 struck me about that and how they were able to pull it off was the brainwashing mm-hmm. to make people believe that that was okay. And 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 Cindy, I, I appreciate you for calling it out now because what I see going on is another form of brainwashing. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe part of the strategy needs to be that we need to take over social media and own the narrative and begin to put out the message of truth and love, right? Maybe maybe that's a, a strategy that we might want to take as well. So I just wanted to talk about that because I think many forget that black people and poor people, poor white people ruled the nation mm-hmm. and during Reconstruction until Jim Crow was introduced. And then Andrew Jackson took over after they assassinated um, President um, Lincoln, and then the 40 acres and the mule went away. That mm-hmm. promise went away. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and also to sort of piggyback on all of that, I think it's important to call into this space, since we're going to have conversations about Hitler and Hitler's inspiration. Hitler's inspiration also was here in the United States. Thank you. So while we talk about how Hitler was this horrible human being 
that, oh, we don't know how this happened. Oh, my goodness. His behavior and rise to power and the atrocities um, uh, did not did not uh, come in a vacuum. And he was inspired by the Confederacy and the way that this government treated its black citizens. So I want to say that. And also, as we're building these coalitions, when we talk about white folks, I think it's important to recognize we don't need 100% of white folks to get on board, Mm -hmm. right, to build these coalitions with us. We need enough uh, folks that are willing to build these coalitions to tip the scale and move us closer to social justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Heather McGee wrote a book entitled The Some of Us, S-U-M, Some of Us. What racism costs everyone, you know, and how we can prosper together. And, and she talks about the solidarity dividend. It's coming together, we're stronger together. You know, I think fundamental to this discussion is once we get rid of the, the scarcity mentality, if I prosper, then you can't. If I rise, you can't, vice versa. And begin to take on an abundance mentality, understanding there really is more than enough for all of us. And no one can beat, can beat anyone being, uh, we're the, the, the best self that we could be. And then coming together, we can really make the society a place where, where we all want to live, play, learn, stay, right? And not be trying to escape going into outer space or oppress anyone. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. And, and I continue to that point, call out, I'm going to continue to call out this study because I still do not understand why it did not receive media attention, more media attention. And that is Citigroup's study that the United States has lost $16 trillion, trillion with a T, GDP, due to racism and discrimination in education, housing, uh, business loans, sort of all of these pieces. And we're not just talking about, the study doesn't talk about how it negatively impacted black people. It negatively impacts all of us. So the jobs that were lost and never created, the houses that were not purchased because we were denied credit, mm-hmm. on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And so there, I think, is this failure to understand how this racism is uh Basically, the United States is what cutting off its own nose to spite its face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, another uh, thing this is, I think will be important for us to watch is uh, because there's some other rulings like we've only begun. I mean, this is just beginning, right? The rollbacks, all the uh, progress. But the LGBTQ community is under attack, too. Right. And so you have to begin to ask the question, um, LGBTQ goes across every race. Um, will LGBTQ and black and brown community, let me also comment about brown communities because um, someone recently made a comment to me about um, the Chinese community because here, because in Washington state, and I'm sure across the country, I just happen to know a lot more about it in Washington state since I ran for office. Uh, there. The Chinese community believes that their children, now that they've ruled out affirmative action, that that's actually going to help brown America, Asian Americans to get more seats at the table. And so they've bought into the Kool-Aid and the data shows the complete opposite. The data shows that their access has shrunk over the last several years, even though the whites are continuing to tell them that to take down the black in order for them to get more. And so you do have to come to this point where, you know, I think I mentioned it last week on the show where when I was reading the book, Brown is the New White by Stephen Phillips and where the voting power is in this country is not in white folks' hands. It's in the progressive white, brown and black communities. um, And there's, 
and so we should collectively use that power. And so I guess my question is, how do we harness, you know, the if you know the whites who don't have any vested interest or want to step forward and help until it's too late, until their house is burning down or until their grandchild is black and they have to begin to question a lot of the things that they were upholding in the past. What do we co collectively, we have 18 more months for this next election cycle and we don't have 18 months to wait. Like we gotta do something now as a collective community. How do you guys think we should bring people into the fold and collectively start moving this agenda forward to save democracy, to save our lives, to save our families' lives, and not have to burden our kids and grandkids with having to do all the work we're all doing right now. You know, Cindy, I do charge a quarter anytime anyone says you guys are in the presence of those <laughs> identify to her. I just want ladies, to ladies. <laughs> you, you, you know, I'm gonna say this and Dr. Stephanie, I want to give you a few minutes. I've been thinking today about that movie, uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I don't know if you all saw that back in the day, where people around the nation were drawn to this mountain independently. And I feel like, particularly with the uh, removal of black women from key positions, it's almost like we're being drawn to another mountain, out of where we were into where we're going. And Dr. King, had hundreds of thousands of people come to Washington, D.C. in hot August 1963, no website, no Instagram, no email, not because he wanted to communicate a set of objectives or even a plan. He communicated a dream that resonated with humanity. And I believe that we could learn from that. And, and that really, I believe, is something that is important now to communicate that dream for children having that quality education, a roof over their head, diapers on the baby, food on the table, taking care of our elders, providing generational wealth for the generations yet unborn. All of us want to be able to do that and communicating that vision. And those who hear the clarion call, I believe will come because quite truthfully, we're really not interested in, in those who don't mm -hmm. hear it the moment they'll catch up later maybe but 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 right now i just really believe that the way we we do that coalition building is communicating that vision for humanity that imp impacts each and every one stephanie did you have yeah. some thoughts i do and i have comments about the democratic party i do and the first is I need whoever is communicating, who's responsible for the communication at all the levels. So not just at the national level, but all the way down to, I don't know, dog catcher, like wherever the Democratic Party is involved. I need them to hear this. Our party needs to get out of the theoretical, right? Our party needs to uh, uh, really start talking about, A, how this impacts, um, how this impacts their base. I would also say for the longest time, black women in particular, so people of color, black women in particular, uh, mobilize, vote, canvas, volunteer, letter writing campaigns, like all of the things we are, you know, typically there. Uh, and I shouldn't say typically, always there. And I am not hearing about what the Democratic Party is doing mm -hmm. to support its base. I'm mm -hmm. not hearing that. And so what I am hearing is a lot of fear uh, and not being able to say words like racism and not being able to say words like reparations and not being able to say words like discrimination in the workplace or even articulate a plan for how 
their base who are constantly subjected. Oh, shoot, lost her. Let's give her a minute. Are you still there, Dr. J? Yes. Okay, let's give her a minute to see if she needs to sign back in. Looks like Wi-Fi is just spotty everywhere tonight. She's making a powerful point about the the party that depends on us um, mm -hmm. is nowhere to be seen at these moments or are playing it very safe. And I, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I don't want to finish her thoughts, but I think uh, it's an important issue that has to be forward about the fact that there is literally no forward thinking that's being communicated to um, the people who are putting these folks in power. And it's disturbing is, be, is an understatement that mm -hmm. we don't feel. I don't know if you share that sentiment at all. Um, you come out of a position of power and then get taken down and they at, no one pays attention or what, how they're operating is business as usual, right? Mm -hmm. Another one gone, mm -hmm. let's just hire another one, keep mm -hmm. her for two years, let's discard her and then let's just go. Mm -hmm. Like this pattern of behavior towards mm -hmm you know, black women and the fact that we don't have a political party behind us who expects us to show up, who expects us to vote and who expects us to mobilize and knock doors and do all the things that we don't see our peer counterparts in other races doing. Now, it's a valid perspective. Would you agree with that? I would. And it is certainly time for us to, to, to show up, show up, stand up and speak up. I was reminded as you were talking of a woman during a hearing that we had during the Office of Equity Task Force uh, meetings. And we had community voice and, and, so, and we asked the community, what is it, what are your hopes, dreams and expectations for the Office of Equity? And one woman talked about, she said, she wants the Office of Equity to say no to the no, say no to the no. And I, and I remembered that in that office. And as I was listening to Dr. Stephanie and, and even you, now is the time for us to basically say, mm, no, the, the pattern, we see the pattern, we're going to disrupt it. Mm -hmm. We know the playbook, we're not buying into it. Mm -hmm. uh, it it's, it's time to message this ourselves if you are unable to. And, and if you're unable to, then perhaps we'll go ahead and vote for someone who can. And because the days of being politically mm -hmm. correct and, and, and just complicit with this whole system of oppression are over because our people are dying. Right, mm -hmm. black women, baby, we we are dying. It's almost an epidemic now, with the the childbirths. Mm -hmm. Not our babies not being born. Mm -hmm. We're dying and having births, mm -hmm. and, and even just the the psychological and emotional trauma we go through in dealing with it. They're not, they're not even micro macroaggressions anymore. Just aggressive, mm -hmm. and 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 so I think it's time now for us to to own the message and, and put the narrative out. I appreciate you guys joining. We're out of time. Stephanie, we tried to finish your sentences for you. Thank you. Here. I know you I know you all know my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a valid point. Let me just make a couple of closing comments. Dr. J and Dr. Steph, thank you guys for being on with me this evening. To our audience who has been listening to the show tonight, first off, let me thank those of you who are participating in the dialogue. I We've shown some of your comments. Uh, on the feed tonight, we want to make sure that you are engaged with us in this movement. You know, I am pretty stirred up as usual uh, about some of these issues. I believe we should be thinking about issues such as term limits for these uh, congressional people who are spending 35 years in positions of power and destroying our lives. I think that's something we should be thinking about. Uh, I also believe that um, we have got to start to introduce legislation as well, uh, similar to what people are doing around suing Harvard. Well, if you're going to sue uh, the admissions process for affirmative action for brown and black people, then let's um, uh, let's sue the white folks who are uh, using the legacy programs. Uh, I believe the number I saw at Harvard is 43% of the uh, candidates or the students coming in are white students from their legacy parents. And so that's affirmative action. So um, let's just start going after and forcing accountability uh, with these academic institutions who are enabling for money purposes. I understand we all need money, but we got to do something different than allow white supremacy to take charge Harvard. 
Um, and also we need to introduce some legislation to expand the Supreme Court. Like we can't just keep to Stephanie's point about the Democratic Party. We can't just keep sitting here on our heels and expecting people like me, Dr. J and Dr. Steph to be out here doing things when we have no backing and no support. And every time we step into something, we have to uh, fall prey to the attacks that come against us. And we have nobody who has the balls and the gumption to stand behind a black woman in positions of power. So these are conversations we're going to continue to have every week. I'm going to continue to reach out to elected officials. We've got to hold the people who are elected accountable. We're going to continue this conversation every single week until we get some action in the right direction for us as Black Americans. So for all of you who uh, joined me this evening, I want to thank you uh, for joining me this evening. I appreciate uh, please share this show. Please get this show out to our communities and let people know. I want you to please follow me on my YouTube. I'm at Cindy, Cindy with an I, Bright. Let's get some, we've got to do something. Like we can't just talk about it every week. Let's get some action going from us here as black people. And if you are a black woman here in the state of Washington who wants to join a movement that we're doing, uh, my email is Cindy at CindyBright.com. Please email me because uh, we are moving. And so um, that's, that's the show for tonight. So we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining. We'll see you next Wednesday. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.